1: With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears.
2: The Volume.
3: The 3 Now Podcast with me, John Middlecoff, is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. America's number one sportsbook, very easy to use, safe and secure. You get your winnings fast. I cannot recommend it enough. Love gambling with FanDuel. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code Colin so they know we sent you. What is going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, 3 and Out podcast. How we doing, everybody? What is happening just watched a little Thursday night football. Bengals win, but the story of the night's the Tua situation, which we'll dive in right off the top. Uh, some other thoughts on just the draft a couple years ago. Not looking quite as good as we thought when it comes to the quarterbacks, the Mac Jones, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson situation. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence looking pretty good though. Uh, the booing—I I have a couple thoughts on booing—and then uh, Lamar Jackson. You know why? You know the Yankees. Kind of screwed up with Aaron Judge, and now they're going to pay for it. If I'm the If I'm the Ravens, I, I got to still try to figure out a contract I, before the season ends with Lamar Jackson. We, we got to get this figured out. Uh, and then, of course, Middlecoff mailbag at John Middlecoff is the Instagram. Fire in those DMs, as well as if you listen on Collins' feed, make sure you subscribe to the Three and Out feed. Greatly appreciate it. Share it with your friends. Share it with your enemies. Let's just dive right into the podcast. <laughs> Well, the story of the night was Tua Tonga-Vailoa laying there on the ground. And I I think I speak for everyone. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen on a football field. Uh, Part of it was Amazon relentlessly focusing and just rewinding to his fingers and his hands, uh, uncomfortable. I mean, I can't even imagine, I mean, the pain the guy was in. But the the viewer, what are we doing? I, I get this is your first. Year doing this, but give me a break that that was outrageous. The whole scene was was a tough watch Uh, No way around it And you know, it took the whole second half you're kind of taking it all in and let's face it I hate this story. I I mean I most people do I'd rather that this obviously you don't root for this to happen No one wants this to happen talking about things. I do not know. I'm not a doctor. I I didn't go to medical field I barely got a fucking degree but everyone's going to have an opinion, especially in the media. They're loud. <laughs> and they love having medical opinions that, have, we've seen the last couple of years, they, they have no clue what they're talking about. But on this one, like you've earned either the benefit of the doubt or you haven't. And I think the league as a whole has taken huge strides, right? The league forever didn't care about player safety. It's not really debatable. I mean, I was born in the 80s. In the 90s, they played in terrible stadiums with awful turf, injuries, no one cared. Just throw the guy to the side. And obviously concussions, hell, if you played high school football in the 90s, early early 2000s, they would tell you to rub some dirt on it and get back in the game. Things have changed a lot in that environment when it comes to head injuries. But I think specifically in organizations, like think about the people in life that you give the benefit of the doubt to it's usually people that have a long history of doing right by you, right? It's like the older you get, they tell you, be careful who you trust in business. And at first, that's just a line. Someone's like, be careful, don't trust everyone. And then you get screwed over a couple times and you realize you're always on your guard, right? But there are people that you haven't seen in 20 years, family, friends, people you grew up with that you would trust with your life, right? Because of you seeing them when you were younger, what they've done for you, your family. Like, their character speaks for themselves. And then there are people like politicians. 99% of people don't trust any politicians. Why? They constantly lie to us. Why would we believe anything they say? In the NFL, we're always kind of torn. Like, do they actually care? Are they pretending to care? I don't know. Now, ultimately, the consumer doesn't really care. Ratings are up for record numbers. It's just skyrocketing ratings. But when it comes to concussions, tonight I thought was much more uncomfortable than last week. But last week was kind of weird, right? We have a long history now of watching guys get in, get concussed, wobble off the field, hit the ground, and they've added this independent neurologist, or guys basically to take it out of the coach and the team's hands. So as a coach, I say this all the time around the draft, when a doctor comes to you and says, this guy has a degenerate knee, what are you going to say? No, he doesn't. Of course not. You're not a medical doctor. You just got to have to go with whatever the doctor tells you. And last week when Tua was stumbling around, we've all seen enough of these situations to go, sure as hell looks like a concussion to me. But then they come out and say it's his back. And you go, you know, that doesn't really add up. Like his back, like the dude was wobbling around, hit the ground, and then he came back in the game. So of course they said it wasn't a concussion because they couldn't put him back in the game. Now, if this was the Steelers, If this was the Packers, if this was a lot of organizations around the league, you'd be like, you know what? They have a long history. Trust them when they do something. But it's the Dolphins, who I've said over and over are one of the biggest clown shows in all of professional sports, who ironically, their owner is currently suspended because of everything that happened with Tom Brady. Remember when they tried to land Tom Brady? I always say this about Stephen Ross. He's always trying to do things in a shady way and never gets them done. He's always in part of these rumors, and they never come to fruition. So to me, when I see the Miami Dolphins, they don't get the benefit of the doubt. When when something happens with the Miami Dolphins, like tonight, you go, yeah, something's weird. Something doesn't add up. Now, they don't have an owner. Who's to blame? I don't know. It's Mike McDaniel. Like, was he the guy that cleared him? Of course not. He can't. So is, is now the doctor to blame? Because our head's going to roll? The NFLPA has been doing an investigation into this. For like three or four days since it happened. And obviously tonight was, I mean, awful. But now what happens? Like, does Tua ever come back? Is the season over? Only time will tell. But this is the type of situation that with this organization, and here's the thing with the NFL. The the, the media, the big J's, they hold nothing back. This thing is going to be a war zone until people get answers. Think about the NBA. Ime Odoka. Who just had some weird thing going on internally with women. Well, he's protected by Wosh, who has basically allowed ESPN to not attack that situation because he's been protecting them. There is the healthiest thing I've always said about the NFL when it comes to the media, there no one protects anyone. Like the NBA, they get very like territorial and they don't want anything to get inside. But it's like in the NFL. It doesn't matter if you cover the sport and that's how you make your money as a big J, you will attack and you will go after them. And that's what's going to happen. People are going to go after the Miami Dolphins. And you would say based on the last four days, I have no problem with that, but I can't get up here and pretend to know anything that I, you know, I didn't go to medical school. I got no clue. Did it look pretty bad last Sunday? Yeah, it did. Did he come back into the game and they said a back and that didn't add up? Of course it did. Tonight. Tonight pretty awful but everyone's like well last week I don't fucking know what if it was his back clearly the night with the fingers never seen anything like that that was you get sick to your stomach watching the replays that that was awful thank god that he's being taken you know he's able to be released from the hospital and fly home with the team now I would say if I was the Miami Dolphins probably give him a couple weeks off I don't care when he's cleared like this next game he probably shouldn't play now, the NFLPA, the union, I don't know how this is all going to work, but this is this is only the beginning. And the media is going to go into full attack mode. There is going to be no one protecting them, specifically because of this organization. People do not care about the Miami Dolphins. And people are going to want answers. And who do you even get answers from? There's not even an owner around. Mike McDaniel, he'll just go, well, the doctor told me this. Chris Greer, the GM, he'll, you know, Florio thinks a bunch of people are going to get fired. Who knows? Uh, tonight was really ugly, hard to not get sick to your stomach when watching it. But man, I mean, it's honestly, you know, the weird part about Tua the player, he would make some really good throws and then he would make some deep throws that were pretty horrendous. And I was like, got it, is Tua kind of growing on me? And then he threw a pick and then that happened and it was hard to even think about football. The craziest part about the sport is trying to almost watch the game after that happens. I can't imagine trying to play it and trying to reset your mind and play the sport. It's just, I don't think we give enough credit to the players, like the next snap, and you just go full go. It's like, a dude might have, at one point in time, I'm like, did this guy just die on the field? I'm like, is Tua alive? That's what I thought. Is Tua alive? I think a lot of people are thinking that. Is the guy going to get up? And then like 10 minutes later, they're just playing a full football game. Teddy Bridgewater comes in, looks pretty good, until he doesn't, and he throws basically a devastating pick that ended the game. And, and I say this all the time, basically past like the first Thursday night game, is uh, do you win or do you lose? I mean, it doesn't matter how pretty it was because for a lot of it, Joe Burrow, it wasn't that pretty. Now, ultimately, he made enough throws. T. Higgins made a big play. Jamar Chase made a play, uh, and they won the game. To me, anytime you just want to get at – you could argue even the first Thursday night game on that, you know, the Charger-Chiefs game because obviously as the year goes along – you uh, you have like you know by the time you get to like November and December and you playing on a short week, that that is just brutal. The only thing you care about winning the game, get out of there. The Bengals did it. Let's face it, they've kind of I don't want to say saved their season, but at zero two, a team that was just in the Super Bowl, we're like I thought the Bengals were going to be some power. Then they looked pretty shitty the first two weeks. Now they're two and two. Feels like they got a little momentum. Now they got kind of the mini buy uh their passing game with Burrow, Higgins, and Chase is just pretty awesome when it's on. I mean, Higgins, I say it all the time, I was way off. I I did not realize he was that good. Obviously, Jamar Chase, who's kind of had a slow start to this season, is a star. So as long as you got those two guys and Joe Burrow with Mixon, if your defense just plays solid, like you're a playoff team. And the crazy part about Joe Burrow is I was thinking tonight, like relative to Justin Herbert, who physically is just this monster, has this enormous arm. Like Joe Burrow's not the biggest guy. He doesn't have the biggest arm. He just, I say this all the time, like some guys just have instincts to play the position, and he is just an instinctive player uh, because he's not the most physically gifted by any means, but the dude can really play, and really, since the Bengals got him, he changed their franchise. They obviously hit on the two wide receivers, but like you watch them tonight, they're flawed. Like By no means are they some, I wouldn't call them, uh, I was going to say I wouldn't call them a power When I say that, I mean top-to-bottom, their roster has still got some major flaws, but they're a good team, and they have a chance to beat anyone, specifically because of the quarterback and really the two wide receivers, just a big-time playmaker. So, you know, you say big win for the Bengals. feels weird to say on a night where, again, we thought a guy might have died on the field, but seems he's okay. Flying home with the team, prayers up to Tua. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) You know, I've been thinking this week about drafts. Um, There's already a ton of buzz on the draft coming up with the quarterbacks. You know, Will Levis has a big game this morning, the Kentucky quarterback, that's going to be a top-five pick. Bryce Young, obviously Alabama's quarterback, C.J. Stroud. We've been hyping definitely Stroud and Bryce up now for a season. Levis has entered the chat. And the simple reality when you get around drafts, the hype on quarterbacks – It just gets outrageous when there are good ones, right? And this last year was pretty terrible. And it was kind of universally agreed upon, not very good quarterbacks. You know, uh, Malik Willis, third rounder, uh, Desmond Ritter, third rounder, like the majority, like we had one guy taken number 20 overall. And I thought it was pretty nuts. Some Steeler fans disagreed. But for the most part, when a guy, when a quarterback doesn't get taken to the 20th pick, and then another guy does not go until the third round. Told you everything to know what you need to know in a league where half the teams are always looking for quarterbacks. Even if you got a decent one, you'll always draft a guy high if he's talented. And it was very reflective. But two years ago, it was a loaded draft. Uh, the league told you. It's not necessarily my opinion or Mel Kuyper's opinion or McShea or whoever, even when Mayock was doing it or DJ it's about what the league thinks. The The league determines the market, not the hype, not the fans, uh, the, the players in the league, right? The, t- the talent coming in the league and then the league, what they value in your ability. And for the most part, if you can play at certain positions, you're getting drafted high, right? You could be a fantastic running back and not go to the second round, right? Brees Hall, the dude from Iowa State, stud. Like, it just, it doesn't, it's not a reflection that he can't play. It's just his position. Safeties, Right? They drop in the draft. If you can rush the passer, if you can play offensive tackle, or you can throw the ball, you get drafted high. Right. Ocean front property usually goes for more money than uh, you know, property in the middle of the desert. It's just the nature of the value in real estate, right? No different in football. Quarterbacks get drafted higher than a lot of positions when they're when all things are equal. And last year things weren't. And two years ago, we viewed like they weren't either, but on a good you know, from the side that there were going to be a bunch of stud quarterbacks. And I'll be honest, I kind of bought into it. Because let's face it, the hype machine uh, creates some groupthink. I'll never forget this. And I'm not claiming to be some scouting genius. But, you know, when I first got in the league, like, they don't want your opinions on every player. And they definitely don't want your opinions on the good ones. So, like, my first year as the lowest guy on the totem pole... They weren't asking me what I thought of first-rounders and the high-priced free agents. They did not give a shit. And looking back, they should not have. My opinion was irrelevant. But I will never forget, just firing through some of the guys that are going to get drafted high, and I remember watching Trent Williams. Not Trent Williams, Trent Richardson, the running back from Alabama. And I remember thinking, I'm like, you know... I wouldn't say I don't really see it, but I remember thinking like, you know, I'd been watching tape all year long, so I and I knew at the time what played in the league, and I just remember having a couple thoughts like, I don't know, man, this guy's going to go in the top ten or whatever, and uh, you know, I, I didn't say anything. I actually mentioned something in like a group setting, and people were like Middlecoff, he's he's a stud, and then that was that, and then it turns out Royal Bust, but that's neither here nor there. But the reality is, when you come out and say. Some players are universally just agreed upon. Nick Bosa, everyone thought he was good. Vaughn Miller, uh, you just just go year to year. But some players, there's going to be polarization in a room. And I think the quarterbacks a couple years ago, beside Trevor Lawrence, who I would say for the most part, universally everyone thought he was the most talented guy, most accomplished guy, had the physical skills. And let's face it, now that he has a real coach, looks like he's going to be a rocket ship and change Doug Peterson's life. But the other guys, it was like Zach Wilson played at BYU against nobody his junior year because of the COVID season. They lost to Coastal Carolina, and he went number two. And through two years, it's not gone well, and he's been banged up a lot. Trey Lance, who, let's face it, if you didn't work in the NFL, no one saw a snap the guy played, or you live in North Dakota. And we just assumed the physical attributes, the high character guy, we kind of bought into it his first two years. Not all of his fault. Didn't start last year because of Jimmy, but when he did, he got banged up, sprained his knee, hurt his thumb, a little random, whatever. But then this year, shatters his ankle. So you would say, Zach Wilson and Trey Lance's career, not off to roaring starts. Some of it out of their control, but injuries, the best ability, sometimes availability, and they both been banged up. And then you get to the third guy, you know, off the board, non-Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. I was a big believer in. Loved him at Ohio State. The, the speed, the arm strength, the game that he had against Clemson, listen, I said coming into the year, it's going to be difficult for the guy. Defensive head coach, not many weapons. But I've seen a lot of people breaking it down. Like, even if you take that out independently, like we all understand, he's not dealing with a loaded deck. He's been atrocious. It has not been good. I saw PFF did this breakdown of some of his missed throws. And I I just watched this two-minute clip. I am like, God, I, maybe I need to watch a little more Bears football. I was a, I was a Justin Fields guy. But even a Bears fan go, you know, probably could be going a little bit better. And then Mac Jones, one, just not that talented. Two, wasn't playing that well. And now he's got a major injury. Uh, We'll see how major, you know, Belichick pushes back. Ultimately, my point is that the draft is really hard. (laughs) You know, you are taking one, we're dealing with human beings, right? So fields, Trey Lance, ton of talent, size, speed, fields way faster than Lance. Big arms, like playing quarterbacks hard. It encompasses a lot more than just throwing in T-shirts and shorts. This is also a talk to myself because I buy into it. And let's just face it. The majority of guys that get drafted at quarterback, especially high, are not going to be good because I just thought, oh, three or four of these guys are obviously Trevor Lawrence, be a pro bowler, a couple more guys be really good, Trey Lance dominate with Kyle, Fields will end up being good, and Mac Jones will just be a 10-year starter. Like As we see, it's a lot harder than that. And I think we do it all the time in the draft. Like, this guy's going to be really good. This guy's going to be really good. This guy's going to be really good. We only pick a couple guys that will be bad. And the majority of time, most guys are average to below. Why? It's really hard to play in the NFL. It's very, very difficult. And the hardest position to play is quarterback. It's why there are only such a small percentage of guys in the league that can do it. And do it at a high level. So it, it just, that that draft was so hyped up two years ago. And it's been very, very, it's been a difficult road for a variety of different reasons for them all. And they've all been banged up, right? And it just shows you it's a violent game. It's a very, very violent game. And the other thing is the amount of defensive linemen who have come into the NFL over the last several years is pretty crazy. How fast, how athletic, how powerful they all are. It is that there's a lot of people hunting the quarterback right now that can really move. And it's showing on a a weekly basis. These guys are running for their lives. Football season is underway. So now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's free bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up using the promo code COLIN. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from money line to point spreads to player props. You can combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. The app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Get paid your winnings fast. So sign up today with promo code Colin for your no-sweat first bet. Make every moment more this season with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Hope NY, or text Hope NY, 467-369, New York, Tennessee Redline 1-800-888-9789, Tennessee, 1-800-522-4700, Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net, West Virginia.
4: When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do
2: Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Thoodle Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Booing. I saw Doug Peterson was asked this week. He's obviously going back to Philadelphia with the Jags and his boy Trevor Lawrence. Uh, who I, I think the Jags got a chance. Eagles are clearly a better team. But it wouldn't shock me if the Jags stay in this game. Big game for Doug. right? And he talked about the reception he's going to get. And basically, like, he was there when Andy Reid came back, got a good reception. But he basically said, it's Philadelphia, you never know. And they've had a history, you know, throwing uh, snowballs at Santa Claus. It can be an edgy town. But I was thinking about because week one, everyone kind of freaked out when Seattle booed Russell. And that pissed me off. I, I try to be pro-fan. When I go to games, ever since leaving radio, I I, I would never sit with the media. I like sitting with the people. I like getting a gauge of the consumer. It's also just more enjoyable. You get to drink and eat and screw around. Like I, I like sitting in the stands. I used to not when I was in the media, and I've said this over and over, I got a much better gauge doing what I do now, never sitting up there and sitting in the stands. I, I feel I relate better just in terms of talking about it. And I don't claim to go to that many games anymore. But when I do, I pay for a ticket. And I never have an issue with fans who pay for a ticket. Because I think a lot of the media loses touch with how much tickets cost. When I went to the Week 18 game, to the Niner game, with two other people. Now, granted, it was an enormous game, L.A., I mean, perfect kind of mix. And we had good seats, that next to Danny Trejo. I, I think the tickets cost close to two grand for three seats. Now, you could argue three seats, weird number, two and four are typically cheaper when you buy them together. But still, like it is very, very. I say it all the time about the NBA. I never get mad at fans for being pissed off when guys sit. You, have you ever Googled like how much it costs to go watch a the LeBron James or Steph Curry or Giannis play? These tickets are not cheap. So I always try to be pro consumer, pro fan. The guy paying to go, you know, sit in the stands and, and drive to the stadium, pay for a fucking hot dog and a beer that costs way too much and then deal with traffic getting home. It's an all-day ordeal going to a game. Trust me, I've been to a million of them, and it you know it's all Sunday. You don't get to watch the other games. You are there to watch whatever game you're going to see. That is your Sunday. And when everyone booed Russell Wilson, people were like, and I know Colin was like, how could they boo him? Well, he asked to leave the team. He was a guy demanding a trade in a Russell Wilson way, so he didn't actually go Kevin Durant demand the trade but we're not idiots. This isn't 1967. We have the internet. We know how these things work. The dude demanded a trade. So if you demand a trade from my team, even if you're the best player I may ever see, you're the best quarterback we've ever had. I'm allowed to boo you because ultimately I live in this town. I root for this team. I loved you because you were a part of this team. But then when you say go basically trade me, I want out of here. I can also be mad at Pete we capitulating your demands and pissing you off. But I can be mad at you for basically saying, screw you to Seattle. Because my reaction as a fan is, screw you. And I'll boo you. Even though in five years when you come back or you retire, I'll give you a standing up. But when we play you, the, the first game after you demanded a trade, I know you claim you didn't. We all know you did. I'm allowed to boo you. So there are some rules with booing and not booing. Because Doug was basically like, I don't know how it's going to go. And my one rule, one, you're allowed to boo anyone on the opponent. So if you play for the other team, whether you like Cavs, remember when LeBron went to Miami, they were allowed to say whatever they want. Now you can say, you know, I'm not big on messing with people's family in the stand. Hate that. Whenever someone's fucking with someone's parents or their wife, I'm talking about the people on the field. You're allowed to boo the opponent. I remember Pete took hell when they asked him, leading up to that Seattle-Denver game, what do you expect out of the 12s? This is competition. We are trying to win the game. I expect them to support us, and they did. Uh, Number two, like, like I said with Russell, when your famous player, LeBron, when he leaves you, or Russell demands a trade, it's fair game. Now, over time, you should show them some respect. Give them a standing O. But that first year, it's all fair game. I do not believe, in Doug Peterson's case, when he returns, he led you to a Super Bowl. The first Super Bowl in the history of the Philadelphia Eagles. And one, he didn't try to like get traded to the Jags or force his way out. He got fired. So not only should Doug Peterson not fall under the camp of Russell Wilson or LeBron when he t- returned to Cleveland, he should be the opposite, where he gets a standing ovation. And if Jeffrey Lurie, who I would expect him to do this, should have some sort of ceremonial video tribute, whether it's a minute, two minutes, for Doug, either before kickoff, after the first quarter, he deserves to be celebrated. So while I'm all for if a player, if Jason Kelsey tomorrow said, I hate the Eagles, I want out, trade me. They traded him to the Cowboys and came out. Jason Kelsey, who's one of the greatest players in the history of the Eagles, the Eagles would be allowed to boo him. But when the coach is fired, he has to sit out a year, and then he has to go to the Jaguars, which, let's face it, about six months ago, we all thought, that's a shitty job. Turns out, actually, it's a pretty sweet job. Standing ovation. Cheers. Uh, salutes and respect waves. Doug has earned that right. And honestly, having lived in Philly for a couple years, I fully expect him to get it. And last but not least, Aaron Judge, uh, who's from the Central Valley. And I, and I grew up in Davis, but it's basically right next to Sacramento. And from Sacramento down to Bakersfield is considered the valley. I consider it the valley. Now, to me, the Central Valley is probably more Stockton to Bakersfield, but, you know, I'm I'm north of that, so we go up to Sacramento. And to me, that area encapsulates in California much more middle-of-America vibes than you will ever get in San Francisco or Los Angeles. And my dad was a farmer. So I, and I have family that born and raised in Fresno. I've spent a lot of time from basically Stockton down to Fresno. And it's a very different, I know a lot of you that don't live in California view us through the prism of now me, I'm actually moving to Scottsdale driving down there on Friday, but from San Francisco and Los Angeles, when there is a large percentage of people that live much, much differently than the big city elites and I've always resonated with those people because, one, I, 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 my dad was a farmer, spent more time on this side than I ever did in San Francisco, Los Angeles, in the big cities. And two, I ended up going and working for Fresno State, which started my career, which in a weird way led me to doing this now. And I definitely follow every guy that played at Fresno State. And Aaron Judge, who is from a small town in the Central Valley called Linden, who uh when I was at Fresno State, one of our student assistants, Derek Ray, who is now basically the general manager at Florida State, they basically grew up together or in the same town. I think Derek's a little older. And one of my other good buddies, Vincent Recruti, who played a big role at Fresno State Football. He's you know essentially now like a booster, he, you know, farming family, he's become a very successful businessman. He has become friends with Aaron Judge. Now, he's much older than Aaron Judge in his 40s, but Aaron Judge spoke at something for him. He has young kids. He has been out at Yankee Stadium for like the last week and a half just hanging with Judge, Judge hanging with his kids. And everything I know, I don't know Judge personally, but through every person that I know that knows Aaron Judge, they swear by the guy. And then watching the way Aaron Judge, you know, kind of... uh, could. uh, The way he acts and conducts himself, it has a very Derek Jeter, Peyton Manning professional vibe. Even if you don't know anything about the guy, where he's from, the culture of what he's about, it's hard to go, that's not a super high level guy. Then when you factor in, he's six foot fucking seven, 200 and whatever, hits bombs and dominates. You go, that's everything you could want. And I think sometimes we overthink it in sports. Like Aaron Judge turned down $215 million from the Yankees before the season. I thought it was kind of crazy because he had battled some injuries. You know what it turns out? It wasn't not only crazy, to it would have been crazy to accept the offer. Because at minimum, he's doubled it. But two, he is everything you can want, right? He's a great player on the field, and he's an incredible high character leader, worker off the field. And sometimes in sports, I think we can kind of nitpick that guy when it's like, not everyone is just going to be ideal, right? Like Mahomes, guess the league, MVP, Super Bowl. It's like, yeah, no-brainer. Pay him everything you want. Even Steph Curry, people forget early on in his career, he kept getting hurt. He kept having ankle injuries. And they paid him a very, very small contract, which ultimately led them to be able to go get Kevin Durant. But early on, people questioned, could this little guy stay healthy? No one ever questioned, like, Steph Curry's everything you want in terms of work ethic, character, ability. He was like this hybrid. But then he started staying healthy. His teammates got a little bit better, and they became a dynasty led by him. Right? Some people shoot like a rocket ship immediately like Patrick Mahomes. That's kind of an outlier. Josh Allen. Remember a couple years ago? It was like he'd become a really good player. They give him all this money. You're like, that was still pretty bold. No, actually, it wasn't. They know the character. They know the guy physically on the field. It keeps getting better. Now it's pretty obvious. He's like an incredible player. It's like, what are we talking about? Isn't part of investing in sports as a general manager, as a front office, trying to get the highest character guys who are also the elite talents? Like, not everyone is going to win a championship. Josh Allen, for example, may never win a championship. It's It kind of sounds crazy to say that out loud. It is not guaranteed that Josh Allen is ever going to have a ring. I think it's pretty clear he has Hall of Fame talent. He is going to be an incredible player for a long time if he stays healthy. But there is no guarantee that him and the Bills are going to be Super Bowl champions. There's no guarantee Mahomes will ever do it again. But he's already did it, and you already knew he could. Even though I watch Josh Allen, and it feels like I know he can too, but he may never actually do that. And Aaron Judge, baseball is a little bit different because one guy can't like, the Yankees could get swept in the first round. That doesn't diminish anything Aaron Judge did. Hell, Aaron Judge could go hitless in that playoff series. You would still go, well, he's still a great player. He's still worth four hundred and plus million dollars. And I was thinking about Lamar Jackson, who has ten touchdowns through the first three games. He has been remarkable. And off the field, one reason I've really gravitated toward him, one, the uh, just everything, the way he just as the years went, the way he conducted himself, uh, his mindset, whenever people talk shit, how unfazed he was in a day and age when younger athletes get so sensitive about stuff, i.e. Kevin Durant and guys like that. He was the complete opposite. I was like, I love this guy. And then he kept getting better and he kept dominating. And I was like, you know what? I'm a huge Lamar Jackson fan. Early on when he was drafted, I'm like, I don't see it. And two years later, it's like, I'm in. I, I, I'm in the Lamar Jackson camp. I'm in the Lamar Jackson boat. And now I'm thinking, obviously, they couldn't come to a contract. If I'm the Ravens, I'm still trying to work this out. I know he claims. I'm not worried about it. Like, I want to get him signed. Because like there's no guarantee Lamar Jackson is ever going to win a Super Bowl. Just like Josh Allen. No guarantee. There's no guarantee Aaron Judge is ever going to win a World Series. Hell, he may never get there. But do you ever hesitate having guys like that on your team? Do you ever feel... When you have a guy like that, great player, great character, great person, you ever regret having him around? I, I, I just think sometimes these teams, and I don't blame the Ravens. Like I said, I thought Lamar Jackson made somewhat of a mistake, but I got to try to meet him in the middle because I got to have him on my squad for the next four or five years. I don't even want to mess with this every year. Just like the Yankees. Do you think the Yankees regret? Should we have just offered him $300 million? Should we have just done that? Because he probably would have signed it. And now we would add Aaron Judge under contract. Here's what I know: I know a lot of people in Philly. They don't regret the Bryce Harper contract at all. They love Bryce Harper. He has been fantastic for them. And I don't know much about Bryce Harper's, you know, character, personality. Besides, seems like a good guy, and people like him. But it feels like some of this group—the judges, the Josh Allen's, the Lamar Jacksons, the Mahomes, the Curry's, the Giannis—it kind of feels like they're all under the same umbrella. Like I want those guys on my team. What does it cost? Can can I really overpay? Like, can you really overpay for the mansion on the water? Can you really overpay? I don't don't know. I mean, I I think historically people would say, no, you really can't. (laughs) You know? And I I think sometimes with these star athletes, when you get the guy... Now, listen, anyone get injured. LeBron James could have shattered a leg five years ago. Like, yeah, that's just part of the risk. Mahomes could just get catastrophic injury at any moment. It's, It's sports but i you know part of being in the gm seat or being in the front office seat is like you got to kind of remove that i don't know if you can really play that game cuz for the most part lamar's been pretty durable he had the one injury last year but other than that like dude answers the bell and then this year i'm actually learning more like part of aaron judge it's like he came into the season without a contract no he's playing for a big contract and he's going to hit 65 home runs and potentially win the triple crown for the fucking yankees do you know how impressive that is Lamar Jackson, like, the contract, the contract, the contract. Couldn't figure it out. Then he comes, and he starts kicking everyone's ass. Like, that's the level of focus that I would have died for in my mid-20s. I, I didn't have it. I would imagine most of you listening didn't have it. Can you imagine the pressure, the, the the focus that that takes? I'm actually learning more about Lamar Jackson through this season than I have the previous seasons, and I already learned a lot. Like, the mental capacity on that guy. Let's face it, we have a long history of guys crumbling like a cookie when they get put in this situation. And it's not even that, like, it's very understandable if you can't handle the pressure. It's difficult. I mean, the amount of money hanging over your head when you turn down a contract or, or you can't come to terms. Like, we're talking, you know, nine figures, right? So, listen, I, I, I want Lamar Jackson on my team. If I'm the Ravens, I, I am continually trying to get this figured out because he is just, he's blown me away with how good he is.
0: Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Thurda Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, to start listening.
3: Back at it with my man who's red hot. Stucky 7-3 and three and, uh, you know, one of the great plays so far of the year, the, the fade uh, of the Chiefs, which, you know, the, the numbers backed it up. Didn't look pretty, but not only did they cover, they won outright. And uh, Stucky, you find him on Action Network. You can find him uh, on Action Network podcast on Thursdays. Big bets on campus. We know the guy. I love. I mean, Kentucky, massive game. I mean, Mark Stoops might be coach of the year on this pace. Will Levis kicking everyone's ass. Uh, playing Ole Miss, 9 a.m. kickoff for us on the West Coast. So, Stucky's
2: Bar will be getting after with his uh, Tito's and Red Bulls. What's up, my man? What's going on, man? Uh, yeah, the, the I got a lot of your listeners were tweeting me for the Colts pick, and uh, so I was glad that that came through. Harrison Bucker might get himself paid. After that performance with the Chiefs special teams. And yeah, on the West Coast, 9 a.m., noon uh, Eastern, it is a fantastic early slate for college football. So we'll get the weekend started off right on Saturday.
3: What, uh, before we dive into the National Football League, what do you think Kentucky will miss? You you like Kentucky in that game? I know it's on the road, right?
2: Yeah, it's uh, the line keeps going up, so it's hard not to like Kentucky at. At seven, Chris Rodriguez will be back too. The, the Kentucky offensive line has still been a little problematic. Chris Rodriguez fixes a lot of that. He you know gets a lot out after tackle. I, I like the under a little bit too. Ole Miss's offense has been a little problematic. Stoops on the road 28 and 14 to the under um, in his career at Kentucky. He talked all week about, oh, now the run game's important because everyone saw like that. Chris Rodriguez. So, I think that they're going to try to control the clock, you know, with Rodriguez, take the crowd out of it. And, uh, you know, Kentucky's defense doesn't allow a lot of explosive plays. Neither does Ole Miss. So, I think that you can see the clock moving fast in this one and maybe look at the under.
3: Sweet. Well, I'm I'm fascinated. I haven't really watched – I guess I watched Will Levis against Florida, but obviously he's, uh, you know, I mean, he's got potential. When the dust settles, who knows? I mean, to be a top two or three pick for sure, size – uh, uh, big arm, and Kentucky's kicking everyone's ass. Let's dive into the NFL. And uh, I, I guess we could start with the the Ravens and the Bills. I mean, the Bills, y- I know you dive into these numbers. Statistically, that's got to be one of the greatest outlier games in the history of the league, right? What, 90 plays to, was it 90 to 39? I mean, that's just probably historically an outlier, just in it's There's never been a ratio quite like that uh th- 96
2: 96 jags you got to go back to to find a win like I lo- lost, like w- that.
3: what was the play ratio in that game do you know
2: uh, i think it was like 80 something 80, crazy from five to 38 or something yeah it was, it was doubled up and then the amount of yards given up and yeah 20 20 over 25 years ago
3: it's weird i mean the bills clearly when they were healthier fantastic but they're banged up and then you got the Ravens, who I, you know, I thought was going to be a Super Bowl contender, and not that they're not, but they're the reason I thought that. I thought their defense was kind of like what we saw Sunday night with the Broncos and the Niners. You just wouldn't be able to score on them. But it turns out their defense might not be uh, exactly as good as we thought. Uh, I, I guess you would just have to go with Lamar. Jackson looks fantastic so far this year, scoring touchdown. I mean, last week he threw four, ran one. Um, I, I guess I, I would I would probably stay away from this game, but if I was going to bet, I, I'd go with the Ravens plus three. How about you? Yeah,
2: you have to, I, you have to take the points here. Uh, the Ravens plus three and a half and It's plus three. It's, first of all, you're getting Harbaugh as a dog. He's one of the great underdog NFL head coaches in NFL history. Just behind Tomlin and Peyton, the third most profitable, is John Harbaugh. He's also 4-0 against the spread as a home dog over the last four years while Lamar has been there this is one of the best staffs in the NFL one of the best special teams units in the NFL so you're gonna get all of those little things in a big game and look by by the way the yeah the Ravens the Bills had an outlier loss so did the Ravens the Ravens had a one a 99% postgame win expectancy against the Dolphins. And they, you know, they gave up a a bunch of explosive plays at the end. The Dolphins scored twenty points. Those are the last two Dolphins wins, by the way. So perception of the Ravens, if they had won that game, and if you know the Bills have won again, these are two three and O teams. The difference is Buffalo is not the same team they were coming into the year. Uh, you know, for example, your your cornerbacks are decimated. Your backups are now hurt. You're missing an All Pro who's on IR. Now you put another Pro Bowl safety. On IR and Micah Hyde, his replacement came in last week and was dreadful. He's now the lowest-rated safety in the NFL, and so much of what the Bills do is predicated on their two safeties on the back end and Hyde and Poyer. They have injuries on the offensive line; they were down to their third-string center last week. Uh, they have injuries. You know, Gabe Davis is still banged up. Injuries on the defensive line. So this team is wounded and is coming off, uh, you know, another road game where they were cramping up on all across the field. And now you're going to a Baltimore team that's, that's rolling offensively. I mean, Lamar Jackson, the big question coming of the year for me with Baltimore, I think their defense will be fine. Their secondary, now Peters and Humphrey aren't on, on a pitch count, and they're back. They need a, some edge rush help. That's why they signed Pierre Paul, and we'll see if Houston's healthy. But I think their defense will figure it out and be okay. It was Lamar against the Blitz. And he's shredded it. Um, you know, you go back to the playoff game that the Bills won against the pa- uh, against the Ravens a couple years ago. They blitzed 50 percent of the time. Lamar Jackson was lost. Lamar Jackson had never thrown for three touchdowns at 150 yards against the blitz in his career. He did it in the first half two weeks ago, and then he did it again last week against the Patriots, who blitzed 50 percent of the time. So that this offense is rolling home dog, great atmosphere against a wounded Bills team. I think you got to take the points here. You
3: would say really the only knock on Lamar, obviously elite player, great guy, everyone's rooting for him, are the two playoff games that stand out early on, that Tennessee game when they punked him, I think a couple years ago when they went on that run, and then the, a couple years later, that Bills game. So when people just snatch and I kind of do it sometimes, can Lamar win the Super Bowl? Well, if he continues to figure it out like he is every bit as dangerous as these other quarterbacks right because I, I, we've seen him do it in the regular season the knock is just in the playoffs can you fool him will he throw picks will the passing game you know kind of get stalled well if they can still be explosive in the passing game they they just they have one of the better offenses in the league
2: right yeah yeah and and look it's not the best it's not the best receiving group he's never had the best receiving group his offensive line has been banged up he's still last week he was playing with a Third string left tackle on his blind side. Rookie who had never played left tackle in college or the NFL. He just got thrown in there. It's Um, the NFL, baby. Was shredding the Patriots. So, yeah. I mean, the question with Lamar is what will the league now adjust to? Because the Ravens have adjusted, but the the league is – by the time you get to the playoffs, it's like, all right, here's all the film, here's what's worked. And they don't have receivers. that He's not the most accurate quarterback in NFL history. They don't have receivers that are going to go make – big plays in coverage. So, like, it's kind of a cat and mouse game. At first, everyone played zone and said, we have to face Lamar so he can't run, and he shredded them early. So then they said, let's play, screw this, let's play man. And Lamar couldn't fit it in the tight windows, and he struggled. Um, Started to, you know, his accuracy issues were persisting. Then they said, let's add in the blitz, cover zero blitz, struggle some more. Well, now, they had all offseason to work on this. It looks like against man and the blitz, they've had to have some beaters there. So it's like, okay, what does the league now do to adjust to the obviously unique talent and offense in the, offense the Ravens?
3: Okay, Indy, uh, Tennessee, the divisional matchup of two teams that might not be any good. Uh, now I, I I know they won last week, but to me, I I think Indy stinks, and you know Tennessee. Not that I'm a huge believer by any means, but you know you've like you just said with Harbaugh, Tomlin, there there is something. I think Vrabel's really good and clearly this is a less talented team than he's had given the injuries they have and AJ's got traded. But I, I just in this situation I, I'd have to take him with the points. How
2: about you? Yeah, I'm gonna disagree. I'm gonna take the and by the way, you were right when we went head to head last week with uh the the Lions ended up covering. It's a good I, call there. I like, the, um, I like
3: Dan Campbell, you know. Shit they should have won, they,
2: Stucky. I right know. All all he does is cover. Um yeah, I'm taking the Colts here for one simple reason. I mean, look, I the Titans last week. I'm super low on the Titans, and it's of no fault of Rabel. It's of this would happen with this roster. Um, it's and last week, yes, they beat the Raiders, but the Raiders were in the red zone six times and scored 16 points, including a you know a pick that went off Waller's hands. The Titans got in the red zone three times and scored three touchdowns, and it still came down to a two point conversion that the Raiders couldn't execute on. I was not impressed with the Titans last week. It's just a, a roster that's void of talent. You're now missing your best edge rusher, your your top receiver from last year, your left tackle and best offensive lineman. And I think what this boils down to is one simple stat. And it's if you look at the run, if you look at the rush stats for both teams. Rush defense for Indy, tops in the league. Should get Leonard back to this week so far. Tennessee, dead last in Basic rush defense and rush explosive defense. Everyone is running all over them. No one is running on Indy. Taylor should have a day here. I don't really trust Matt Ryan. He saw him falling over the field last week. But Taylor should have a day. And then Henry should get bottled up, which then just crushes the play action game, which is all Tennessee has with their receivers. I think ultimately the best unit on the field will be Indy's defense at home. So if you can lay a field goal or less... I'll roll with it. Um, but it's, yeah, I agree with you. I think ultimately the Jags win this division. I think I'm with you. Uh, big game.
3: I mean, Jags Eagles, that's a, honestly, one of the top two or three games this weekend. Who would have thought when yeah. the season started? Yep. Okay. Uh, this, you know, for the last 15 years would have been one of the better games on the slate. Rodgers, Brady. Now you remove Brady. Shit. You might remove Mac Jones as well. This could be Rodgers, Hoyer, Lambeau Field. Um, there's a lot of points. I mean, nine and a half. I don't know. I mean, I, I think the Patriots, I, I just don't think they're very good. Now, I, I would be stunned if Mac plays. I know Belichick and those guys are so weird with the injuries. Uh, now, Mac hasn't exactly lit the world on fire this year. I mean, he's he's I think he's got four or five picks so far. And if he's injured, if somehow he is able to play, that would seem pretty crazy to me. But... You know, maybe Billy Zappi comes out of the bullpen and and gets the cover. Uh, I this is probably
2: a stay away from me. I I know. uh, I I know you're leaning one way here. Yeah, I took the Patriots at ten and a half. You can get double digits. I would take them. Uh, I I think it's just too many points for this Green Bay offense to lay right now against not a good. I don't think the Patriots are good. They're not bad. Just an average team, and the. Packers are still trying to figure out their offense. I mean, they didn't score in the second half against the Bears. They came out with a great game plan, and Rodgers was cooking against Tampa, obviously an elite defense, and then they didn't score again, and they held on for a 14-12 to win. So without Devontae Adams, they're still trying to figure out what this offense looks like. I'm assuming the Patriots will have, you know, off a loss, will have a great game plan. Last time with the Patriots was on the road after a loss, and by the way, you know, Belichick 48-22-1 against the spread off a loss. Some of that, yes, is with Brady, but he's had success with Jones, Newton, Castle in this spot. He's how about this? He's twenty-five and three against the spread on the road after a loss as either an underdog or a favorite of less than seven points. Twenty-five and three. That includes nine to zero against the spread as an underdog after a loss on the road. Obviously, there's some Brady in there as well. So you know when I look at this game from an X and O standpoint, there's a couple things that are, could are, are work you in the expe- are you
3: expecting Hoyer to play in this game?
2: Yeah, expect Hoyer. Now the last time Hoyer started, he's lost 11 straight starts. He also he, he's like 60 percent against the spread though. He's covered his dog more times than not. He was double digit catching double digits against the Chiefs. And it's the only time Belichick's ever caught double digits in his career. A couple years ago when the Chiefs were rolling, he missed. He did forgot this you know spiked the ball oh, at the end yeah, of the half, lost yeah, yeah. points. <laughs> Had a bad pick. So you got to hope that death doesn't happen. Then Stidham came in. Maybe Bailey Zappi comes in and gets the back door if that if he plays like that again. Um, and I love Bailey Zappi. But, yeah, I expect Hoyer here at least knows the offense. But what New England could do here is lean on its run game. You can run the ball a little bit on Green Bay. Jair Alexander, their top corner is a little banged up. Um, I think they'll probably play really slow, shorten the game. Green Bay also tends to play really conservative at the end of the games once they have a lead. Um, And then another factor is the special teams. The Packers special teams have been disastrous for two years, one of the worst units in the NFL, cost them a playoff game last year. Patriots are always going to be in the top half. I mean, Nick Folk who never misses uh, from under 50. I think he's made 54 in a row. Some hidden points there, Belichick off a loss, double digits against the Packers offense, still trying to figure itself out. I'll take it, but it's a hold-your-nose play.
3: Okay, uh, you know, you, you were on the Raiders last week. I, I, I It was hard for me to disagree with you. Uh, they just, something feels off with them. You know, there have been a lot of just on social media breakdowns of Derek, him and Devontae not being on the same page. Clearly, I, I, you know, having followed Carr's career since Fresno State, I I think he's under so much pressure in his own head, and he's just not playing that well uh in in what's crazy because he's got Waller, he's got Devontae, he's got Josh. It's just not really worked. Now, they're in there's no team, given their expectations coming into the season, probably that's more must-win. I mean, you go on four, like, I mean, are we headed toward like a six-win season? But I don't love the matchup here. Like I listen, the Broncos offense, something's off, but that defense is legit. I mean, I I think the team speed, the pass rush, the, the Corners. I mean, they can put Sertan, fall around Devontae. He's elite. Uh, I I think it's going to be hard. Like, this is not the game that you want to be in, must win, just given the defensive matchup for an offense that clearly they're just not on the same page, you know? And it's just, uh, which is crazy given their talent. I, you know, I I don't know if I could lay money on the Broncos because I don't trust what Hackett and Russell, but I, I have a hard time seeing the Raiders flourish against this defense.
2: Yeah, I'm. I, I hesitantly back the Raiders here. If it they if it doesn't work out, it might be the last time all season. Yeah, it could do you agree? Go. Do you agree though could, the
3: matchup of of their offense? Do, do, do you view the Broncos defense as top notch?
2: Yeah, no, no, they're they're, uh, they're a top ten unit for sure with uh, with up with upside for top five and um, the. But here's the thing: this is sort of a perception thing. In that, yes, there's something there's something wrong with both of these teams. The the, the Bronco's offense is inept. Yeah, it looks bad. Russell Wilson looks like he's uh, Brian Hoyer. And he he might be washed a little bit. He also just isn't being Russell Wilson in this offense. He can't run around. That's how he makes plays. Without that, Russell Wilson, you might as well bring back Drew Locke if you're not going to let him run around and sit in the pocket. He's been one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL with a clean pocket, too. If you just look at completion percentage over expectation, fourth worst. And we're talking about guys like... Uh Gino Smith's been a lot better than him throwing the ball. It's crazy. So I'm going to – there's some expectation here, like the perception of, yes, there's something off with the Raiders, but they almost win that game against Tennessee. They go 1 of 12 on the third down. They score 16 points in the red zone. Waller drops two touchdown passes. They lose by two because they don't get a two-point conversion late. Okay. They were, they were right there. They played the Chargers – even statistically in week one on the road when the Chargers were healthy, when I think the Chargers are healthy, one of the best rosters in the NFL. And then they took their foot off the gas up three touchdowns in the first half, lose on a fluke, maybe the two point conversion, by the way, two, if two, two, two point conversions go differently, they could be two and one. Um, and then they lose in overtime on a, a Hunter Renfro fumble. So yeah, things aren't right, but like they could easily be three and oh, two and one instead of the row and three. And on the other hand, Denver could be zero and three. You know Jimmy G doesn't step out of bounds, uh, and the, the Texans like they had a fight tooth and nail to beat the Texans at home in Denver, where they're always good early in the year with that altitude advantage. So yeah, there's there's I just don't trust this Denver offense yet, and the Raiders there's something off, and I don't trust McDaniel's, but they haven't been as bad as everyone is making it. Like they are right in games. I'll give them one more shot to get this done because I think Russell Wilson coming out after the win over San Fran and saying, this is a championship effort. Like the other team stepped out of bounds. Um, Like that's the championship effort. So I don't think they're going to make any drastic changes yet. I do love that Hackett said, okay, I I don't know how to do game management. They brought a Ravens guy in. I like that. Like admitting your mistakes, but Russ is off now. I'll trust the Raiders. One more shot. I hope they throw it at Adams 30 times. Um, but everyone is is it's a week to week league. Everyone is making way too much of the Raiders zero three start because I, I and not agree giving there. the I Broncos agree. enough enough of uh, slat because they could easily be zero three and the Raiders could be three and zero. Like it's not they're not that far off, but there is something off with both. I, of these teams. I agree. With I'll it. trust the home. Team. I,
3: I agree. Both these two teams fall under the umbrella like stud players kind of everywhere. Like I mean, I mean the Max Crosby looks fantastic this year. And obviously they got studs on offense. Same Broncos. Where's guys.
2: Chandler Jones though? Chandler Jones needs a show. That's up. been
3: a disaster signing so far, for sure. I, yeah. The one thing that would make me nervous in this game is the Raiders' offensive line. That Broncos. I mean, Randy Gregory was flying mm-hmm. around last week. This is a this is an interesting watch. <laughs> you know, whatever side you back. This is uh, this is gonna be fascinating because if the Raiders go and four, I mean, Josh McDaniels a one and done guy, and like you said, the Broncos. At any moment, they can lose again, and all of a sudden, it feels like their franchise is on fire.
2: Yeah. I saw some, someone on Twitter say uh, Belichick didn't name an offensive coordinator because he knew McDaniels would be I back saw that in too. That was a, a
3: good one, which honestly, who knows? Could happen. Belichick, you know, they, they might win th- four games. Belichick gets fired, mutually departs. Josh McDaniels just goes back and becomes the head coach. I could I could see that. Keep an eye on that one.
2: Yeah. I. By the way, I saw you tweeting about Mark Davis the other day. I, I, uh, I was in Vegas at a casino, hammered maybe, I think a year, two, two, two and a half years ago. And I'm walking through the Venetian and I see Mark Davis walking right by me by himself. And he's walking out towards the, the valet. I just stop, hammered, and start talk. I say, Hey, and I start talking about football. He talks to me and walks with me, talking about the Raiders and the NFL for about six minutes. And then I shake his hand and I, my, I stumbled up to my room. It was amazing. I'll say this. People think I'm a Mark
3: Davis hater. I do make fun of him. I mean, it's it's funny on social media. When you interact with him one-on-one, I've only talked to a couple owners in my life. He is as normal of a human that can possibly own a major franchise in the world. Yeah, you would never I think mean. it
2: looking at him, but yeah.
3: <laughs> no, you, you would not. He is, he is a man of the people, Stucky. Well, <clears throat> let, let's win some money. Go Kentucky Wildcats and uh, Raiders Broncos. Can't wait for that one in the afternoon.
2: Yeah, should be a hell of a weekend. Good luck.
3: Later, bro. The
1: Volume.